Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. Very special show today. I'm super excited about this guest and the conversation we're about to have. Before we get started, we're going to bring the music back on for a second. <laughs> Before we get started, it was so good we had to do it twice. The message of the week, and we're going to expound upon this a little throughout the show. When you learn to make adversity your ally, it becomes a superpower. With that, I'd like to bring on this gentleman today. He's had more senior management, CEO, and chairman positions, and I could probably count on my fingers and toes, a long, long list of accomplishments. He's also an author of On the Road Less Traveled. Wonderful story, very applicable to today's situation. With that, I would like to welcome to the show, Mr. Ed Hajim. Ed, how are you today? I am terrific. Thank you for bringing me on your show. This Thank you. Thank you for coming on. So what first attracted me uh, to Ed was the fact that he went to the University of Rochester. He did his undergraduate there, as did my wife. And I lived on campus illegally for a little while. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and we you know, just have a huge affection for the city and for the university. My wife's actually from Rochester. Uh, her, family's, uh, her family's all from East Rochester. She ended up growing up uh, in Canandaigua and Victor, just outside of the city, mm. um, but ended up, uh, she went to middle and high school there and ended up going to the University of Rochester. Uh, and, and similar to yourself, uh, you know, she was, uh, her, her family uh, was under huge financial constraint uh, throughout her youth, and she ended up getting a full academic scholarship through the HEOP program mm. and, and excelled she was a, an excellent student um and got a got a full academic ride there and so it's it's helped you know her success which has helped my success so i'm <laughs> i am forever forever indebted to the university plus that you know that that six months of uh free rent that i got while i was crashing in her university apartment they're gonna come back and get that rent from me <laughs> I might have, I might still have a, I might still have a few unpaid parking tickets too while we're at it. <laughs> yeah. So the, your story is intriguing in and of itself, but that, uh, you know, was even, even more of a, a connection for me. Um, so I don't want to give away too much of your book. Uh, again, here it is, everybody on the road less traveled. Um, I, I want people to actually buy it and read it. Uh, but but we were just discussing before the show a little a little of the glory days of of Rochester. I you know I read uh, a bit uh, about how you uh, ended up there, but um, I'm curious if you would elaborate a little bit more because there were there were many options, and and University of Rochester is not a very easy school to get into. So how did that kind of play out for you? Well, when I when I decided to go to a private college, I was in an orphanage, and it, and that's why it's on the road less traveled. Most of the, most of my peers were going to either public school or not going to college at all. And I decided to go to a, a, a private college. And people forget in those days, you're only allowed to apply to three colleges. And I was sure that I was going to get the New York State Scholarship. And so I applied to three New York State schools, Rensselaer and Cornell, my first choices. And the principal of the high school was a very big bull on Rochester. So I threw in Rochester. And uh, when I got the, I didn't get the New York State Scholarship but I applied to every other scholarship. There weren't many in those days. I got the NROTC scholarship, which Rochester was on the list. And I called Cornell and they said, well, you're, you, we'll accept you into the NROTC program, 
but it'll take you five years. I called Rensselaer and they said, hmm, it'll take you five years here too. Yeah. Then I called Rochester and says, we'll get you through in four. The small print I didn't read, which read, there'll be six, eight o'clocks for four years and you'll be in yeah. laboratory every afternoon and you will take a summer course in order to get through. Plus the fact we'll flunk out 75% of your class, you know, come to Rochester. <laughs> so Rochester was my first real home. And, uh, you know, academic education beyond anybody's imagination was excellent, but also terrific extracurriculars and, you know, division three sports. So I, I played freshman baseball and basketball, realized then that I would not be a professional athlete. That was because my size, I thought I was just, that was the only reason to help me back. I did play intramural sports for the next three years, but the extracurriculars at Rochester really were spectacular. And they are now even more so like there are 250 clubs on campus now, but I, I just learned so much at Rochester from all the different activities. Engineering was tough enough. I mean, we started with 60 chemical engineers, ended up with only six of us graduating. Eventually about 15 of them graduated, but they really, you know, we had this, I remember vividly this physical, physics, physical chemistry professor in the old days, as you look to your left, look to your right, you know, one of them will be gone. He said, both of them will be gone. <laughs> that's, it. that's how I got to Rochester. Didn't know anything about Rochester at all, but it was, the, it was the other choice and I had to make it. And I did get, once I decided to go, I got very good feedback. Said People said it was a very good place to go. And I, you know, I enjoyed it. But after my freshman year, I had a very good experience. Freshman year was very tough on me. Yeah, I was reading how, you know, you were describing your uh, appearance and, and, you know, I was, I was spending time there in the late nineties. And, and even then that would have, you, you kind of would have gotten a look, you know, I can yeah, I got what it was like when you were there. Like, my leather jacket, my leather jacket didn't go very well. And my haircut was a little bit unusual and also my accent and, and, and my background, you know, and I was rejected by every fraternity, which, you know, fresh week, rush week was the first week of school, which really made you feel yeah. good. So you got rejected by it was a pretty good deal. Heck, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm, coaching, trying, getting involved with coaching the first gen kids to get through freshman year because they don't funk out academically. They funk out socially. They get behind, they get down on themselves. And that's really the big negative. And then, and I must say, I got through somehow, uh, you know, friends, I guess somehow, or just being in my background was so, you know, I don't unattractive that actually as bad as the first year was, it was pretty good relative to everything else. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I went from living with 50 kids in a room to three kids in a room to just a roommate. So it was pretty good. <laughs> and, and, you know, I only experienced it from the periphery, but I would agree with you that the, the community there was spectacular. And it's, it's very unique because it's isolated on the river campus um, and gorgeous campus, Rush Reese. Gorgeous campus. But quintessential. People, anybody who goes there, anybody who visits goes there. It's a campus is quintessential. It really yeah, is. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. And, and I felt like they did a really, I, both of the schools I went to were state schools and I didn't have that experience. And so hanging around there and just seeing, uh, and my wife too, she was applied math. So she worked with a bunch of engineers and I, I remember the pressure they were under. And, you know, I, I had a propensity for, you know, extracurricular activities outside of the university. They, <laughs> they were like, no, we have to focus. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go. I'll catch you guys later. Um, and, and by they the just, way, glo global warming is giving back Rochester May and October too. You know, huh. when I was there, but by the time October came, you were snowed in. And in May, 
I, I was in charge of the, the Christmas, the uh, spring weekend once on June 1st, it snowed. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, I grew up in the South and I was there for commencement one year. It was be- the year before my wife graduated and some friends of ours were graduating. So we, we were there and it was May and it, it snowed <laughs> while we were out. It was outdoors and it started snowing. And I'm like, what? What's happening here? I, I cho- I'm choosing to live here. I, by, this is this is happening by choice. Uh, it, it was uh, it was a it was a fun experience for sure being around there. Um, and and you know I mentioned at the beginning of the show you uh, you know you you held these senior management and chairperson positions and CEO positions uh, for a lot of companies. But it seems to me from reading the book this was this was something you got started with at the University of Rochester. You were. You were uh, you got into every everything you could. I was Mister Involved. Now, I get I, I you know one thing I said about writing the book. You go back and figure out why you did what you did, and I, I kept busy in order not in order not to. I, I sealed my background off when I went to Rochester. So I'm not telling anybody about my background. I was ashamed of it. I was embarrassed about it. I didn't want any sympathy. I didn't want anything special given to me because of my background. And therefore, I I, I guess I got very busy. I did. I was chairman of the finance board, which gave out all the money on campus. I was a I was the business manager of the, of the dramatic society, which had to fill the damn stadium, the uh, auditoriums every year. I was an, an editor of the yearbook. I was chairman of the engineering council. You know, I was social chairman of my fraternity, which is the most difficult thing because every Saturday night you had to you had to produce. But the biggest thing I did is, is in my junior year taking physical and organic chemistry. I felt that Rochester was a place that, you know, fun went to die and I was going to change that. So I created a humor magazine, which everybody was against the president, the provost, the head librarian. They said, this is not a good idea, but I, I did it. I put 30 people together and we collected all the magazines from all over the country. We wanted to model ourselves after the lampoon at Harvard. And, uh, you know, I learned enormous amount about that. In fact, as I sort of changed my, my orientation in life, I was, I was really a math and science guy. I loved all that. I, mean, I love the smell of a, of a science book. But that experience gave me a feeling that I really wanted to manage. I wanted to create. I got great kick out of putting people together to create a product or a project. And I learned one thing, which I recommend to everybody in life. If you get a chance at some time to sell something that doesn't exist to people you never met before, if you get that done, you're in good shape. We had to sell advertising in the magazine to the local gas station, the local bars and so forth. They never met me. They didn't know what I was selling and I had to sell it. But we had passion and we did get enough of the, enough revenues to support the magazine. The first issue sold out in 45 minutes. And the crowning glory was the, the librarian running down to my office and asking for a couple of copies for the archives. So, but no, I, I got involved and I, when I goes way back, if you read, read the book, you'll find out when I was in public school, PS 104 in Queens, the principal wrote a letter saying he was the captain of the guards, president of his class, you know, and then I went into a little dip because of the orphanage situation. But it, it, I always love to get involved with people. And it's not necessarily being the boss. But I found out that I got a terrific kick out of helping people do more than they thought they could. Have you ever been with somebody that you've helped do more than they thought they could in athletics, in, on, on the, on the, on, in the collaboratories, or in the classroom, or in business? You would get an enormous response. And, of course, if you can surround yourself with hundreds of people if you're working for a company, all of which are doing a little better than they think they could, you're okay. And that was my, my revelation. Now, I didn't realize that at the time. When I created the humor magazine, I was creating a humor magazine, but I started to recognize, looking back at that, that's when I first got my enthusiasm for 
putting people together to get a job done. That's what business is all about. 100%. And I, uh, I, I do know that feeling. And we can elaborate on that a little bit more uh, throughout the show. We're going to take our first break for now, though. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hang tight, Ed. All of you hang tight. We'll be right back. Looking forward to it. You're listening Take care. to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. everybody. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, once again, you're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. Today, welcoming to the show, seasoned Wall Street executive and author of the new book, On the Road Less Traveled, Ed Hajim. First portion of the show, we were talking about uh, the lovely University of Rochester, a place Ed and I both called home at a certain point. Um, and and Ed, was beautiful segue, uh, you were talking about helping people. Um, and when I was getting to know your story and, and, and reading the book and kind of uh, understanding where you were coming from, I, I really thought a great way to angle this was, was in 
in the book's ability to, to work as, as kind of a, a reference for people that need help. And, and you said it, you already ripped one of my quotes too. I wrote down, if you can sell something that does not yet exist to people you have never met before, you will have a leg up in life. So I'm going to sneak this one in before you take it. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic may seem like an unlikely teacher. Um, and I 100% agree with you that there's a, there's a tremendous feeling when you help people when you when you have gone through the fire and you you, you have a, a little understanding of what it takes and you see somebody struggling and you know they have good intentions, um, it's it's a remarkable feeling. I mean, I've I've opened you know nearly a dozen businesses myself and and pulled people up with me and people from from very meager beginnings and and continue to do that. Um, but I've noticed in the last year there there's a, a, a an extra attention, <laughs> an extra focus on that because people got people got rocked. Um, and you know I participate in a number of I mean weekly masterminds and and uh, I don't know if you're on Clubhouse yet if you've taken if you've taken that dive but a, a bunch of Clubhouse rooms and and it, it's all centering around this. Um, there's a lot of people who realize I think the fragility of, of when their health potentially, but also their, their professional existence. And, and it's made people really rethink um, what their future may look like. And for a lot of people, that's scary. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't come up as hard as you did, but it certainly wasn't easy either and, and shuffled around a lot and, and split up parents. And, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of adversity. Um, and like you, I, I think it only made me stronger and better prepared me for times uh, like now. You, you had mentioned, uh, you, did you go to high school in New York City? I know you lived all over the place, but. No, I went, went, to, went to high school in Yonkers. I went to high school in Far Rockaway. Okay. For, for freshman year. And then in Yonkers, New York, my my sophomore, junior, and senior year. So yeah. how did how did you end up in New York through all this meandering? Well, uh, that goes journey. back to my, my 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 childhood. I I was born in Los Angeles, and uh, my father put me into foster homes when he went to the service, and he ended up on the East Coast. So when I was ten years old, somehow he talked them into letting me fly across country twenty hours in a DC ten. United Airlines was not exactly what it is today, and I arrived <laughs> in New York. And that was when I was 10 years old in 1946. And so I stayed in New York until okay. and uh, the orphanages were in New York. And so I ended up going to high school and, and so forth. Uh, but, you know, going back to what you just said about, about, you know, I tried to figure out and everybody says, what's the secret of getting through, you know, what you got through. And in many respects, what I come down to is don't be a victim. Right. Always ask what's next. You know, look, you know, and in my case, it, it was necessary. If I look back, it was too ugly. I couldn't handle it. Therefore, I buried it. So I always had to look forward. And I also took the position, don't be a victim. You know, go look, look forward. And this COVID thing, in many respects, one of the problems with it, if you look at our society for the last, God, I would say 30 or 40 years, there really hasn't been, you know, 9-11, you know, people in St. Louis didn't, they worried about 9-11, but it wasn't a big deal. You know, New York was struggled with it. And the wars we've had have been sort of with volunteer services. But people went through the Depression and the Second World War and the recession after the Second World War. Those were big hits. And the people today have not had big hits. And this is a big hit. So if you take, but if you take COVID and put it into a positive syndrome, and I try to send this message up to the University of Rochester, actually, talking to the president, I said, let's, what's positive about COVID? And, you know, when you have a really difficult situation, like a war or depression, Positive things come out of it. I mean, the technology that came out of the Second World War, unbelievable. Mm. The, the social changes that came out of depression, 
you know, it really changed the whole society. So try to look at the positives of COVID. In many respects, there's huge positives. It's going to change medicine completely. University of Rochester, for example, the number of telemedicine, tele, telemedicine calls made went up almost a thousand. It went from 40 to 4,000, you know, and that changes. The difference between getting in your car, driving in the snow, getting to the hospital, getting to the parking lot, going to the to getting on a TV so they can talk, you and I talk like you and I to the doctor, piece of cake, you know? Now they can't do certain kinds of things, but that's gonna come too. But telemedicine will change. Education's gonna change enormously. Yeah. No, and so if you look at these things, these are huge opportunities. I mean, even recreational, what I call rec tech, rec, rec, recreational uh, technology is changing enormously. I, mean, I watch my grandchildren, they're the whole different stuff coming across their boxes now. Yeah. And so, you know, and puzzles have gone crazy, you know, people. And, and I think families have been pulled together. I always kid about this. My wife doesn't like it. But I said, I live with a pretty nice woman. I learned about that this time because <laughs> you're stuck with her for the whole time. You know, <laughs> you know you're not going to work every day, you know, and so forth. So, so there's, I think there's just, you know, a lot. And, and then, of course, today, there's so many opportunities. I mean, AI, you know, or artificial intelligence, virtual reality, artificial reality. Genomics going to change everything. Nanoscience. I mean, there was some guy showing me the other day. Says we're going to have clothing that react to the weather, so you don't have to have winter and summer clothing. The, the clothing will react to the weather. I mean, there's just enormous, enormous opportunities today in the world, and that's what people have to focus on. And the whole change in the workplace. I mean, you know, some some real estate companies may be hurt because office space may be a little less in, in demand, but urban office space is going to go up big time. And, you know, so I think and also housing have changed. My secretary, instead of getting a, a one bedroom apartment, uh, new house, she's going to get two bedrooms. She'll have her office in the in, in, in that other bedroom. So there's a whole bunch of changes with your pot. That's going to help good for the building industry and so on and so forth. So I I it's not COVID is not positive. But, you know, what I hate to say it, you know, my, we're, we're analyzing this right now. What came after the 1918 Spanish flu? The roaring 20s. I mean, so I don't want to get there, but but don't, you know, <laughs> something can happen here. You got to be very careful that, that uh, you know, people people who are so negative, they swing the other way and become very positive. Yeah. You know, you could have a, a heck of a period, a heck of a decade, which, you know, people are not predicting at this point in time. So I don't want to get, I mean, I've always felt that would satisfy me. I've always tried to look at the positive. I've always tried to look what's next. And that's what, that's what I preach. And I tell kids that, you know, that basically, Freshman year is hell, but after that, it's okay. And your first year, a couple of years in a job may not be so good either. But you got to constantly, you know, Scott Peck, my, my book, uh, he wrote he wrote the, the Road Less Travel. I wrote On the Road Less Travel, because that's what I've traveled the road that very people have traveled. Anyway, he talks about delayed gratification. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to put in your time. Yeah. And, you know, I was lucky because I had such a bad background. You know, really, all my disadvantages become advantages. You know, if you live in 15 or 20 places before you're 18 years old, guess what happens? You get to be adaptable. You can adapt to things more easily. One of the problems with people today is they live in one neighborhood, they go to one high school, and then something changes and they get an anxiety because they have changes exciting for me. I mean, look at it. I mean, it looks like my resume that I couldn't keep a job, but I kept changing as, you know, when E.F. Hutton wouldn't do what I wanted him to do, I went to Lehman Brothers. When Lehman Brothers threw me out, I went, you know, off the firm itself. But going to a new place didn't bother me. You know, and I can go through the descriptions. Some of the, the changes I made, like Lehman Brothers, I was a senior partner and my office overlooked the entire harbor. 
And the dining room was one of the finest dining rooms in the United States. You know, it was unbelievable. The King of Spain was there, the head of the Federal Reserve and so forth. You know, I rang a buzzer on my desk. Guy would come in with my tea in the morning. You know, when I went to Furman Cells, which was the next job, my office looked over at that brick wall you have in the back there, right there. Our dining room was two hot plates in the, in the conference room, you know. And I, when I ran in and pushed the button to get the iced tea, bell went off in my chair. And I got up and I got it. So, you know, those, but that didn't bother me because I loved what I was doing. I had a small company. I became the CEO, you know, the, 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 the sort of the manager, the CEO, the chairman. And it was, it was my thing. I went from 200 people to 70 people, from 20 million in profits to 20 million in revenues. But it was, it was what I wanted to do. But change was okay for me, you know. The only thing I haven't changed is my wife. We got 55 years in, you know, as her, her call too. She hung on, hung in there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a very good student in, uh, in grade school. I did, I did well in college, but um, the one thing I remember just vividly uh, was a science class in maybe eighth or ninth grade. And the, the teacher said, the only thing consistent in the world is change. Now she was talking she was applying it to science, but I was already, you know, thinking practically. And it was just one thing that stuck with me. And, and I've just embraced that as well. And I think. I it, 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 and you, 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 you say changes also, but technological change. We have technological change has all kinds of reverberations. I mean, the whole industries open up for people who can handle the social change, which technology produces. It, it, there's a whole section of training course. The whole training industry has got to change. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, I look at this thing as a, you know, an enormous change. Then there's a whole aging population. I mean, what I try to convince kids is let's look for the next wave, whatever it might be. Get that wind at your back, you know, find a, a, tr a trend or a cycle or an unsatisfied demand or a latent unsatisfied need or latent demand. You know, I kid about this in the golf course when I created a golf course in Nantucket. There was latent demand for golf, you know. There was a hope. There was no golf courses, and they needed a golf course. So right. everybody says you're crazy. It's too expensive. No, there was just a lot of people that wanted to do that, you know. And so it was good. And that, I think that if people focus on that instead of focusing today, you know, COVID is is terrible. There's no two ways about it, and it's a horrible experience. But it's something we will get over. And and I think that if you you start to think about the positives and try to take advantage of it, then it'll become a little less. Uh, but I do believe this staying at home has had some positive changes. I mean, I really, it, it, I spent uh, three weeks with my grandchildren. You know, they were on virtual. I had to yeah. increase the broadband in the house by five times. But <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but no, I was with them for five, for three weeks. And it was really kind of a, a good experience. Yeah. My daughter, my daughter kind of re you know, she's been very busy. So we got a chance to really spend some time with her. And so, you know, fine. And I kid about that. My wife and I, I think are, closer than we've ever been yeah but yeah yeah all right we're gonna take another break hang tight we'll be right back go back good you're listening to talk radio nyc uplift educate empower Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. everybody we're hopping right back into it talking today with author of on the road less traveled ed hagene and i wanted to double back to something you were just saying at the end of the last segment uh one of my mentors says this often a problem is an opportunity and you've been talking about you know you mentioned it in your book too uh taking two people from the same circumstances one will rise and the other one will play the victim where, like, I don't know where, I don't want to say where, because I don't want to give too much of the book away, but coming from the, the mindset portion of the book, because again, I think this is a really great, um, a really great reference for people. It's entertaining. It's a great story, but there's so many great messages in there for your mindset. Um, what would, first of all, what was, you know, kind of the impetus behind writing the book? Um, and then how did you slip those little messages in there? Well, the it's an odyssey. I started at 18 years old. I decided I would basically bury my background. All the psychologists will tell you that's a bad idea. Yeah. But this way, I didn't have to deal with it. I mean, it, I, I, the Horatio Alger kids, I say, when you go to college, there's a line drawn. You can let it hang out like they do most kids do today or just put it away and say, I'm not going to deal with that. And I, I didn't have to deal with my father. I didn't have to deal with my background, orphanages, all that stuff. And But then I went 55 years later, I became the chairman of the board of trustees at the University of Rochester. And I decided I had to give a big gift. And they said, I said, I'm going to give it anonymously. He said, oh, no, we got to find out about you and publicize you and use you and so forth. Simultaneously, my daughter in particular, who worked for Fortune at the time, and my two sons and my wife said, we've got to have a record. We've got to bring it forth. Because they really didn't know all the facts. I buried it enough that it wasn't there. And so I decided to, you know, write the book. And as I started to write it, and I, the first galleys I sent out to people, they said exactly what you said. 
there's some messages in there that should be more than just for your family. And then I started to learn things. You know, it's when you write a book, first of all, being an engineer, not a great writer, but you write things down and you say, is this what I really mean? And then when you say, if I add, is this, are the people going to read it? Going to understand exactly what you said? Then there's a whole other problem. What you remember and what the facts are, are really different. I, I kept all the letters from my father. And when he died, he kept all the letters from me. So I had all the information. I Actually, my daughter had to go into it because I, some respect, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. There are certain there are certain things in your life that are just so traumatic that when you go back and read about them, they you know they just don't they, you can't handle them. So I didn't handle that. But then when I got into it, I found out that there really were some messages, just like this victim concept. If you can just say to yourself, "Don't be a victim," you know, whatever anybody does to you, go on to the next step because the victim takes you down. You get spiraling down. You, you get mad at the person, and you know. Luckily, I I was I had anger. The, the, the positives were I gained a lot of advantages from my disadvantages. Adaptability, resilience, muscle. Resilience is a muscle. You use it more, it gets more perseverance. Mm-hmm. And what you just talked about, empathy. When you deal with someone from the back background, you can empathize with it. And then finally, gratitude. You get a lot of gratitude. Anyway, so when you come back to this whole process, you got you have these. Also, I was anger, but my anger was in inwardly inwardly thrust. I was basically anger at myself. And so when when there's somebody that comes up and treats you badly, don't be a victim. Look forward. Take whatever anger and place it into doing what's next. And the golf course, you get a kick out of that. I got rejected by all the golf courses. So what do you do? You build your own golf course, you know, and there is nothing. (laughs) There is nothing, Jeremiah, nothing like walking up to the snack bar. And when the little girl says to you, what's your number? You say, number one. (laughs) So, you know, that that, that, that was it. That was it. I mean, all my life, you know, I mean, that's an added thing that, you know, that just is so special in my life today because you go into this golf course and you have, we have 300 families which are happier than they would have been otherwise. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to play golf on the island. So, you know, it's a great, it's a, and I don't give book to, my wife says, don't give too much of the book away. Nobody will buy it. That's what There's some good tidbits in there though, but you're right. But I found out more and more as I started to do it, I came up with these things. And so then, and now it's starting to build. And then what I'm getting is people like you talk to me and you give me extra thoughts. One young man just crossed me the other day. He said, do you think you're lucky or blessed? And I responded immediately. I said both. And so that, you know, that, that brought a whole new, a whole new section, a whole new specter into, into my, into my thinking. And so many people have also referenced their lives. You know, that's the first mm-hmm. thing I got back. He said, well, I know I, I did that, or I had this, or I, and so it's really kind of interesting to me. So those are the kinds of reasons that sort of came up, but they, they did evolve. I mean, I didn't have them when I started writing the book. I had some of them, obviously, but yeah. not all of them. It's great. And and I agree. Um, I, you know, just the little bit I read, I saw myself in the in the book, you know, so many experiences that that I can relate to. Um, and and I think, you know, again, as I said at the beginning of the show, I think I think I'm encouraging people to think of it more of as a reference material because you're gonna constantly face adversity, right? The adversity doesn't go away. You don't, you don't get through it one time. Nobody gets, <laughs> nobody gets through without being kicked around a little bit. Right. What did, you said uh, adversity is a gift. If you never experience it, you'll never know how to overcome it. Meaning that it's coming back. It's not, it's not one and done. It's coming back. It's a recurring theme. Here's a, here's a counterintuitive for you. Failure is a gift if you get it yeah. early enough. Yeah. If you get it early enough. You, in my book, I, I fail I big time at age 35. And it was the biggest gift ever. 
to save my life for the rest of my business career. Because I learned some real experience. I got some real experience. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you, know, you got, you know, everything went to hell for a while. You know, I, I look around for a new, new life. So, you no, know, I think that's, those are the kinds of things. And, 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 you know, people say, well, you know, I brought my kid, like I did my children in Greenwich, Connecticut at great schools. How do I give them the same experience? You got to make it a lot of artificial, but there are things like Outward Bound, mm-hmm. Knowles National Leadership School, you know, have them work in a hospital or even mow grass. I mean, one of the great experiences of all times was my daughter in her between college and high school drove an ice cream truck. Nothing is more difficult than driving an ice cream truck. She drives about the house with this pink ice cream truck. She says, Dad, I'm in the ice cream business. I said, Great. She says, I got to plug it in tonight. I said, Darling, plugging in 220 when we haven't got any 220. I found yeah. an electrician about 11 o'clock at night to rejigger our house. Then she had to sell the stuff and she had to have the thing empty but every afternoon and go back and mm-hmm. fill it up because if you took it back full up, they'd take it away from it and give it to somebody else. Yeah. Great experience. You know, and she had a partner that didn't kind of work out so well. So, you know, you learn all this stuff. And th- that's that's what I think is, is great about the, the book is a reference. You know, to us about it really sends a, a definite message that anything is possible. That education truly is the answer to everything or almost everything. Partnership is extremely important, especially in today's society. I think P1, you know, you can find somebody to share your life with. You know, I don't know what kind of deal you have, but there are different deals today than when I was a young man. But still, I think that having someone who's interested in you, who you could support, can support you, is very important. And then in anything you do, in fact, if you look at my book, again, a reference, you'll find out I succeeded a number of times and I failed a number of times. And there is one constant in my failure. Either I didn't have a partner or the right partner. So partnership, you're only as good as the people who you surround yourself with, almost by definition. So those are the kinds of things that sort of came to me as I went through it. And you'll find at the end of the book, something called the four P's, which I'm writing a second book on right now. It's, nice. it's actually been written, but we're going to wait, wait a while and see how this one goes first. Yeah. <laughs> and this was just released, right? This just came out last month. Uh, March the 2nd. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, totally agree that, you know, you talked about helping people and how do you help people? Well, you have to have failed yourself, right? And right. same, I, I went through a number of businesses that just did not work out. And now I have people that I've, I've been a consultant in various degrees over the last 10 years, but the more, you know, the more you fail, the more you learn. And you can help You them. can see things now that people couldn't see before. Because yeah. you've been there, done that. You know, yeah. I remember one great, great story uh, about a friend of mine who wanted to go to business with a guy who was importing cars, exporting cars from Cyprus to Africa. I said, that's a no-no. <laughs> that never works. There's never <laughs> <Right>? any cars. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd gone through that before. Someone called me, this is a great deal. This guy has got these cars. Inside. I said, no, those are things you don't do. You know, there's certain kinds of things you, you don't do. Or, you know, when the guy, the guy phonies his resume, no, don't give them another break. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. That, and that's what's so wonderful about experience. And, and so I, in my book also being a reference, you look, I just reached out for experience at all times. Mm-hmm. When I wanted to be an international businessman, I took the first opportunity to work overseas. Right. You know? And found out it wasn't for me. You know, I loved it, but it wasn't for me. You often learn what you want to be by checking off what you don't want to be. Right. Well, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday, gentleman's 25, he's in finance. He's got a good gig, but he was offered a new one and it's in the direction he wants to go, but he's nervous. You know, it's that change factor. And I just said to him, like, 
you're not going to know unless you're trying. Did you read the chapter? You didn't read the chapter on gophers and eagles. Not One yet. of my, my no. pitches to kids is don't tell me what, it, what they call it. What do you do Monday morning physically? What do you, what do, you do morning? Is it, it, being a discipline, an investment banker and being an analyst, when I got out of school, analysts are gophers. Of course, gophers get on airplanes and fly around and visit people. And investment bankers are sitting there waiting for somebody to throw something on your desk and help a guy out. Totally different business. So yeah. Find out what you do Monday morning and also find out how much responsibility you have. These are the kinds of lessons that are in the book. And I, I, I prove the, the positive and the negative. When I didn't do it right, it, it turned out exactly bad for me. Right. 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 Oh, there's one great lesson in there. You can do everything right and still, fall, still have, get, your, get, get kicked out I was, at Lehman Brothers. That's my story there. I, yeah. I did everything just right. And sure enough, I, seven years later, I was out on the street, you know. It's interesting, too, that a lot of uh, the messages um, mirror the messages uh, taught in martial arts. I've been uh, for most of my life, I've been in and out of martial arts and physical activity. But for the last six years, been very focused. Um, and for me, that was one of the best takeaways. I was I was fit when I started. Uh, but they they constantly say it's all it centers around. Don't be a victim. You know, don't just accept someone invading your space. But then when you get into it, it's all these lessons that, you know, adversity is your ally, you know, uh, pressure makes diamonds. And I'm reading the book and I'm like, this is, you're, you're a martial artist. You might not know it, but you're a martial artist. <laughs> no, I know the ability, the ability to take a blow, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and not pay, and make the, your opponent realize that you're not paying attention to it. It's, it's a whole it's a whole, it's a whole mentality, really. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm getting from the whole thing. I said at the very beginning of the pandemic, because uh, I'm, you know, I'm in combat sports, and uh, a lot of people that I that I know and uh, live around me, they're they're aware of that. And I said in March of last year, everybody's chin's about to get tested. <laughs> We're going to see who can take a clip and keep moving. I think I, there'll, there'll be some healthy returns there. People will be able mm-hmm. to overcome this, and they'll feel good about it. No, 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 it's a and I, you know, you don't want to have adversity, but when you have it and it's not your fault, you know, you can really gain from it enormously. Yeah. I mean, I look back at a lot of the things that really, some, my, some of my great successes are because of the, of the disadvantages that I had. Really, it, 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 disadvantages become advantages. Malcolm Gladwell writes about this as well. And I'm not the first person to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So. All right. We got one more break. Let's take it. Let's come back and we'll wrap this, this baby up. All right. Hang okay. tight, everybody. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. 
Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Right, continuing this wonderful conversation today with author of On the Road Less Traveled, Ed Hagen. I want to wrap up with something you, else you said in the book. Uh, and I think this is um, just real great fodder for people because often, uh, you know, you don't know how to get to where you want to go. But if you know why you're doing it in the first place, the how will eventually reveal itself. You said when you operate on passion, it isn't work, it's pleasure. And I think people need to figure that out right now because a lot of people are just trying to work. But if they can figure out a way to incorporate their passion, because there are times, especially, you know, Ed, uh, as a business owner, uh, you don't always get paid. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was asked two things the other day in a, in a clubhouse room by, by a very successful entrepreneur. And he said, what two things would you go back and tell your young self knowing what you know now as you were getting into entrepreneurship. And the first one you mentioned it earlier was, was, you know, you're not alone. Find, find good partners. Do not, you're never alone anyways. So don't pretend like you are. That's right. Partner up, find, find people that are going to support you and, and you'll, you'll be okay. And the second one was <laughs> that you don't get paid every two weeks. <laughs> not always. Sometimes you do, but, but they're the, the payroll company for. Cash flow is king. Yeah, the payroll company for entrepreneurship has a different cycle than, than the rest of the world. So sometimes all you have left is passion. Can you can you digress on that a little bit? Uh, well, first of all, very important. I think in my book, I talk about find your passions. But the second, and, and passion is an overused word, but it it, because it's your talents, it's your interests, mm -hmm. and it's the context you're in. But also take your passions and early on describe them. I mean, I don't not when you want to be an astronaut or a fireman and so forth, but somewhere in your high school period, figure out what your passions were. Mine were math, science, baseball, basketball, and girls. You know, and and you know, I'm not allowed to say that in the book, but I that was true. And they morph, and you got to keep track of them. So in in college, the math and science morphed into engineering, and then finally into chemical engineering. But I say in my junior year, they my passion started to even change a little bit more. And they became, you know, I really like the business, like like the organizing of people, and so forth. So my passions. So keep track of those passions. That's why I believe you should write down your passions, you know, and and, and keep track of them. And you'll find out that you, they will change. And when they change, if you exercise them, you'll be home free. If you go keep going back to the past passions, you know, they may not work as well. And passions also change with context. Context is very important. What period of history are you in? Are you in a depression? Are you in a war? You know, if you look at the difference between my life and my father's life, he was born in 1970. 
1900, I mean. Those 70 years, pretty awful years. I yeah. mean, he had, he had the 20s is about all he had. He had the Spanish flu, the First World War, you know, then a couple of good years, then the Depression, then the Second World War, then the post-war, which was tough, and so on. And then the 70s, which weren't great. Look at them as in my life. I've had 30 or 40 years of just up. I mean, everybody says, oh, you did a great job with your last company. But I had the, I, my company went up 20 times in 14 years. Pretty special. Stock market went up 10 times during that same period. So, you know, the wind at my back. So, you know, the so you take your passions and also put them against, if you can marry your passions to your context, you're really home free. And your passions have to be modified too, a little bit. So, and it's many interests and capabilities. You know, you may have a passion to play the piano and be tone deaf. You know, you got to pay attention to these kind of things. So, and then, of course, what I, my second is my is your principles. You may have certain passions which really don't fit with your principles. Those things happen. And then, then you have you all your partner. I mean, I, I always tell the story about the uh, fellow who uh, loved he he loved Alaska. He loved gold mining, and he married a woman who hated the cold. You know, <laughs> you got, <laughs> not a winning you combination. Gotta you got to put them together. You know, so but the passions is very important because when you really you know you really I, I love going to work. I mean, I, I spent 14 years as the, as the CEO of a, of, a, of a small investment bank, and every day was exciting. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, take person, we were entrepreneurs. We really weren't a company. Guy would come in and say, I want to do this. I said, here's a desk, here's a telephone. Can you see me in three months? You know, <laughs> right. <and he> written, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something you were just talking about, the historical context. I was, uh, I was in another uh, interview on another gentleman's show with author Chris Kelso. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He just released a book on the imposter syndrome, but he said this during the show and and it kind of relates to what you just said. I'm curious to get your feedback. He said, he, he, he didn't quote this. He, he's, you know, somebody else said it, but he was just uh, resharing it. Hard times create strong men, strong men create easy times, easy times create weak men, weak men create hard times and the cycle <laughs> continues. So you, you were just talking about like, we've had this great run and I talk about it all the time. Cause even in the, you know, the relatively short time I've been in business, it's been, it's kind of been going up and up and up and I've been waiting and I've, you know, like, I know it doesn't stay that way, you know, and, and you have to be on the lookout for kind of the telltale signs. Um, what are your thoughts on that quote? Oh, it's, it's a perfect quote. It, it, the thing that's left out is the time. Because you, you go mean? through a whole lifetime and there are only weak men, and you go through a whole lifetime and there's only strong men. Right. And you know, it's, and those are the kinds of things you have to worry about. I mean, I always used to, I always tell the tell the story. I, I used to predict the stock market. I was a strategist, and and guys would ask me, "How long is it going to take until you get to this?" If I knew that, you think I would tell you? <laughs> no, right. <laughs> no, the timing is very important, and we're in a period now of unusual circumstances. And I always say to people, you've got to sort of analyze what you're in. And what we're in is a period of these very low interest rates, which is historic. And until that changes, you know, it's probably going to be still up, up, up. You're printing money and so forth. But it will come to an end and it will test people again. Yes. And people, I think one of the things, the word, the definition of strong men and weak men, strong men become weak when the things have been too good for a while. Mm -hmm. And weak men become strong because of adversity. So there's a little difference between he and I, I think on that basis. I, I, during, during tough times, Really, people really they 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 pull together and they 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 change. As no, I I've, did. I've seen it. I mean, in the past yeah. year, I've seen some remarkable. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
it's funny people that I thought would be would come come into it chest out weren't like you were just saying right. <laughs> and then people that I, I thought maybe they're not going to pull much off in this have, have been really really uh, astonishing um, so you know given that that a lot of especially the younger people today are coming up in an era where it's been relative prosperity what what's like one piece of advice you would give them kind of looking into the future that it's probably going to be a little bumpy. It's probably not going to be not, it's not going to be like the last 10 years were, you know, or let's say even like 2009 to, to 2020, what's like one little bit of advice you would just give to people that are, that are focus on, on the change, journey? focus on the change and find what part of the change you want to participate. In. And there are enormous changes now, no matter what kind of your talent you have, if, you know, if you're not a technology person and you want to focus on the age, the old age population, which is huge, there are huge changes going on. Find out what part of that change you want to participate in and go for it. And then keep monitoring yourself to make sure that you're, you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> right. Because you can't change it all, right? It's no, impossible no, no, to change it, change it all. No, change it all. Can't change. But, yeah. but you can say, this is where I'm going to go. And, and, and you may not you may not get paid the most for a while. It may, may not may not be the most you know, prestigious situation. But if you really love what you're doing and it's part of some some bigger change, you know, you know, if, if you want to really study China, and it takes you a long time to learn the Chinese language. That's part of the game. If you want to, you know, if you if you if you want to be you want to study technology, you're going to have to go and get a degree in some sort of technology. But but I think do believe that, that there's enough change right now. And also the market has almost quadrupled in size because when I was a young man, the international was sort of wishy-washy. Today mm-hmm. it's available. And also the internet. You can create a community it's almost crazy. overnight. And the big thing that we had was capital. Today you can do a lot of things without capital. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of positives today that I that we didn't have. And then, of course, for young people, there's more scholarship money than there ever has been. So, you know, when I went to, went to school, and I, I got an NRTC scholarship. There are only 1,200 of them in the country. So, you know, the, the, today, you know, half the kids get half their business, half their school paid for. So and there's also my biggest kick right now is vocational education. I'm going back into I think we need to train people to do all kinds of things that they love to do rather than sending them off to college. You know, you know. yes, 100 percent agree. We got it. We got to bring that, some, my advice to people is fine. You no, know, fine. So find, find a change. Find something that in the change where marriage to your passion and go for it. And, and nice. spend three to five years doing it, put your head down, and then wake up, go down to, to someplace in the Caribbean, walk around on the beach and say, did I do the right thing? If not, right. change. If right. you did, keep going. And three to five years, not three to five months. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> right? three to five. you got to give, you got to, there's a rites of passage in everything you do. And you've got to learn the system before you can really find out whether you're good or bad at it. No, no, no seriously. Or, or whether it's yours or not. They just, yeah. I've never run, very, very, most of my, the only thing I changed quickly was it, when I was an engineer, the, my, my buddy made me say, you got to go to business school. And I was going to business school at night anyway. And uh, I'd been an engineer for three years in the Navy. So I, I knew what that was about. But really, you should change less than three to five years. And every year evaluate, but on a three-year basis, really go in deep, write down, write that. When they asked me the other day, what would you, what would one thing you tell a senior in, in college say? Write a business plan for your life. For your life. Yeah. You know? Right? Where do you want? Where do you want to be twenty-five years from now? And draw a line between now and then. I mean, we did this once in, in midlife with a, 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 a seminar, and my wife says, "I want to look at water." Well, within twenty-five years, we had three places to look at water. So you know, so we said, you know, you, just, you can do that if you have time. 
And I, you know, there are cycles that you can take advantage of. And it's just, I always speak, well, I can't, I can't afford this. Well, wait, there'll be a time when that, that, that condominium in Florida or, or in Nantucket gets really cheap. And if you save a little bit of money, you can do it. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So on the road, less traveled, everyone, it's available on all major uh, distribution platforms. You can get it digitally. You can get a hard copy like I have. And Read also it. it's audible now too. Right. Audible. The guy who That's reads right. it is very good. Nice. It's very good. I'm a big Audible man now because I was always a slow reader. So yeah. very nice. So read it not just once. Read it multiple times. Use it as a reference for all your adversity for your goals. Thank you so much, Ed. It's been a true pleasure. I really appreciate well, my it. My pleasure, Jeremiah. Thank you very much. Thank Say you. hello to your wife and me. I will for sure. Tell her she got a better education than her husband. You know, <laughs> she knows that already. She knows. Uh, Jeremiah, it's been fun. Thanks. Good luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. The force be with you. Thank you. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll check in with you next week. Peace out. Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I am Joseph
Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 